0: I was experiencing some blurred vision on my right side and a narrowing of the vision. Like it was just things were just not right here. I went right into a trauma room. They realized that there was a blockage in part of the cerebellum. Uh, We could see where there were some impairments physically with coordination um, and also strength. When I was first in the hospital, I couldn't even take a step, I couldn't stand. My right leg would just give way. I remember laying one time in bed and seeing a fella walking with the walker and just walking along and I kept thinking, wow, look at him go, I wonder if I'll ever be able to do that. And now I'm at home and I'm using a walker, there's times I'm venturing without it in the house. and. Uh, God is healing. God has provided in so many ways. You know, um, when you have these times happen and people say, hey, give me a call. You know, if you need anything, give me a call. And not that I'm being skeptical, but sometimes you wonder, you know, anytime time? With the changes in my leg strength, just the um, Difficulty of something as normal and mundane as getting up out of a low-seated chair or the toilets. Well, um, one of the families in our church that that are into construction, they had said, hey, you need anything done around your house? Just let us know. So we mentioned about, would it be possible to maybe get one of our toilets replaced? I think Linda got a text saying, OK, uh, we have found the toilet. That'll work. Uh, when can we schedule it? And it was like, oh. Well, Okay, one of their plumbers will come and do all the work and everything. And I was like, oh, okay, sort of kaching, kaching, But that's fine, We've, we have to do it. And, and then I think I inquired, like, um, how can we pay for this or what? And they said, no, no, we're gifting you with this, completely free of charge. And the plumber. Which, you know, the whole installation, everything. But meals, phone calls, visits. Uh, we have been blessed. Oh, It has been just amazing to be part of a community like this is just, um, words fail to describe it for me. Even our doctor, when we went to see her, I was seeing her and he says, asked me how I was doing. And she says, you're fortunate. You have your faith and you have a family a community, yep. family. Yeah. So, so we may not have our kids here, but we have family. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. How the church family stands together. You know, just the generosity, the love, the hugs. You know, just people we haven't seen for a while. I'm praying for you. And and I'm just anticipating and believing that God uh, is not done with us yet. And that's the exciting thing. God's not done with us yet. And we just keep on looking for opportunities. How can we serve? How can we uh, share God's love uh, to people within our church, people coming in the doors? God still has plans for us. He is still using us, and that's the exciting part of it.
1: you get it? Do you see? This is what we're after. This is what this call is. And Doug and Linda's story in the midst of some dramatic events in their life felt the love of family. So where do we get this idea from? We get it actually from the scriptures. Here is our scriptural mandate. I want to walk you through Christ's call unto himself, but not by yourself. And so what I want to do is I want to look at Matthew chapter four, verses eight to 11 in your scriptures. I have it here on the screen. I'd love for you to have your Bibles out walking through this. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come Follow me, Jesus said. One of the things that you need to know is at the time in the first century, one of the primary ways or understandings or developments, especially through the intertestamental period, was the rise of what we call rabbinical Judaism. This was traveling preachers and thinkers who would gather a group of, in the Hebrew, Talmudim or students. And these rabbis would distill and inform their group, about their own interpretation of Judaic law, oral traditions, and all of these things. And so what we're brought into here in Matthew chapter four is a very Jewish rabbinical moment. Because here you have Jesus, the rabbi, walking along the Sea of Galilee, looking for his students, looking for his, in the Hebrew, Talmudim, his apprentices. And he sees two brothers, Simon and Peter, and they're casting a net into the lake and they were, because they were fishermen. And Jesus comes to them and says, come, follow me. What he's saying is this, come be my apprentices. Come live with me. In the original language, there's a sense of this um, continuing relationship. So what Jesus is essentially saying is this, come live life with me. Learn my ways, learn my interpretation, learn what a flourishing life looks like under me, not in a part-time way, but rather in a full-time way. And interestingly, what Jesus is doing here is he's taking this rabbinical structure and turning it upside down because here's how it would normally work. That as a student, that you would gather your best resume and approach a rabbi. And the more well-known the rabbi was, the more prestigious the setting was and the appointment was. And so they would come and they would approach a rabbi and say, am I good enough to be your Talmudim, your student? Can I apprentice under you? And then the rabbi would look and choose specifically about who would be his students. But here's what Jesus does. You see what Jesus is doing? He's not coming to these disciples because they are prestigious. No, 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 no. He's actually coming to them and saying, I want you to follow me. I want you to come to me. He's calling them unto himself. And in this way, the community of faith is a grace based thing because it's not the resume or the beauty the potential the competency of his followers no 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 this is the initiating act of Jesus so the first thing we need to see about a gospel community a biblical community is this is a grace filled community because he calls us and invites us to himself and as we you and I Simon and uh, and Andrew follow Jesus we learn the ways of Jesus the ways of life and salvation and life in the kingdom of god we learn about the right way to live life and so we if we want the flourishing life of jesus we look at his lifestyle and jesus teaches his followers about sabbath so that we're not so busy he teaches his followers about solitude so we're not so distracted he teaches his followers about confession so we're not so angry He teaches his followers about mission. Come and I will send you out to to fish for people, giving them purpose so that we're not individuals just out on our own heroic journey. Rather, we are self-sacrificing for other people. That Jesus calls us into community so we're not so lonely. You see what Jesus is doing, calling us unto himself that we would be formed into him and his image and his view of a flourishing life, which is in stark contrast to the life and the problems and the tensions that we feel. But I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't call him unto himself by ourselves. He calls us into community. Why? Because there's Simon and Andrew, and he's going to send us out for people. And that once, this is what He's saying immediately they left going on from there. He saw two other brothers, James and Zebedee and his brother, John, and they were in a boat with their father preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father to follow him, Jesus. And what Matthew is showing is the cost of following Jesus. This is not easy to follow him. It's going to cost you something, a vocational change, perhaps. And to follow in community is also difficult. It is not easy to do. There's cost. And he's calling different people. He's calling different people than you, the way that you think and the way that you look and how much money you make and your your ideologies and your commitments and your convictions and your stories. He's calling not just you, but a group of people. And so the first 10 chapters of Matthew's gospel. Jesus is filling the roster of his 12 disciples, and he's inviting people to come apprentice under him, learn a new rhythm, new, learn a new way of life about Sabbath and solitude. Learn all of these things, life in the kingdom. And in chapter 10, verses 2 to 4, we get the final roster of these Talmudim, these students, these Jewish boys apprenticing their rabbi. And it says, These are the names of the 12 apostles or disciples. Simon, we just were introduced, and his brother, Andrew. James and his brother, John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and uh, and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And from these short verses, we can see Jesus's view and vision for community. I have five thoughts. The first thing we see is that this is not about personality or one person, but about the group. Jesus is about to send these disciples out to do the very ministry they have watched him do as his students. And look at what he does. He pairs them up. Simon and Andrew, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, James and Alpha, uh, James and Thaddeus, Simon and Judas, together they go out. This isn't about personality. This isn't about one competency. This is about community that he sends them out two by two. This is about life together. Secondly, Jesus does his mission through a diverse group of people. He accomplishes his mission through a diverse group of people. The two monikers that we get in this list is Matthew, the tax collector, the only ones, the tax collector, and Simon, who's a zealot. Now quickly, These were two guys on the polar opposite spectrum. You want to think about tribalism. Matthew, as a Jewish man, worked for the Roman government, overtaxing his own people. He would have been seen as a traitor. You can read about his calling in Matthew chapter nine. Now, on the other side, you have Simon the Zealot. Think of guerrilla insurgents. That was Simon. This is a group of Jewish people who hated the Roman government and hated the Jews who were traitors working for the Roman government. They would literally pick up the sword and fight. And who does Jesus call? He calls them. Friends, we don't have it in our gospels, but I'm telling you, there would have been moments of heat as these two guys learned a different rhythm, learned a different identity as they followed Jesus together, that people on the opposite side of the spectrum are now placed together. And Jesus is the one who unites them. I want to be clear for some of you. You're not a follower of Jesus. You wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, but you kind of like it around here. I want to tell you that the reason you like it around here is not because of our good works. It's not because of our bearing and grinning with each other. It's actually what unites us is Jesus. If you want to know why our community works the way that it does, it's because of Jesus, because he is the one that unites us together. Thirdly, this is a community enterprise that life is done as a group that forms the church. So after COVID, some people believe the myth that you can just sit back and do this alone. My friends, that is a myth that you don't come to church only for yourself. This isn't about convenience. You come for others as we follow Jesus together. Fourthly, the primary image of the church is that of a family. You saw that with Doug and Linda and family is great and beautiful. And also family is messy. My friend, I got to be honest. You're stuck with us. You're stuck with us. But can I be straight with you? We're also stuck with you. But that's the beautiful thing about this is that we journey with Jesus who unites us together. Fifthly and finally, Jesus' vision of community from this is that gospel community with Jesus is costly. It's costly to follow him and it's costly to do this together. It's costly of our time. Love demands time. Relationships demand time. Are you too busy? It's costly emotionally that you got to put up with people and people have to put up with you. Because in this community, it's not that we're perfect. If you're new to church, this is not a perfect group of people. Remember, this isn't about our prestige or our competency. It's about a grace-filled community. I've noticed that everybody loves community until they have to apologize. They love community until you have to apologize and say, I own that. I'm sorry. I was too short. I didn't show up. I was too judgmental. Everybody loves community until you have to apologize. But my friends, what unites us is Jesus calling us unto himself, but not by ourselves that this is our vision of community that we want to grow into. So here's our dream. I want to work through this quickly. Here's our dream as a church with our strategic plan. The next three to five years is to promote hospitality as a core practice, both corporately and individually. If you look at Jesus ministry in the gospel of Luke, Luke is intentional to show all of the meals and all of the tables that Jesus sat with as he loved and worked with people. And so our dream is to promote hospitality. I believe this is a huge practice for us. Your table, the table here at our church and our communion table is a place where all people are welcomed. And so we want to promote this as individuals and in our community. Secondly, our dream is that Casey would be known for creating community and not just consuming it. Where our times together are marked by mutual encouragement. Like we would be a positive community where we're pointing out in other people, man, here's what God's done. Here's what I see him doing in your life. We would be marked by confession. This would be intimate and deep, not just reciting the last score in the NFL playoff game that we watch, but rather that we would be real with each other. And finally accountability that this would be growth minded relationships. where we're actually seeing ourselves put off our old self and put on our new self. And my friends, we want to be a place where we create community and not just consume it. So here's what this means for life groups. It means that we don't build walls to other people joining our group. We actually build bridges. And we think who who in our community needs friendship and love? And this isn't about us. This is about other people. This is self-sacrificing community. Sure, there's always room for one more. This is about you multiplying your life group to say, you know what, there's great leaders here that need to go and start their own group because people in our community desperately, desperately need it. Our dream is that families would be supported and encouraged to play a central role in the vitality and health of our community. We want to continue to double down on next gen ministry to come alongside you as a parent, as you watch your kids grow up. We want to be thoughtful in helping you. We're not doing this by ourselves. We are helping you. We are an aid to you as you disciple your kids. So we believe in the nuclear family, we want that to flourish. But I also want to be clear. We realize that families look very different today than they did 30, 40 years ago. So if you don't have a biological family, we want to be family for you, a spiritual family of brothers and sisters. And so if you're widowed, or divorced or celibate, you choose to be single. We want this to be a place where you find family, not just superficial connection, but family. That's our dream. Now, what does that look like? Our faith-filled goals as we move forward, what does this actually look like? I want to lead you through a few. Firstly, in the next 12 months, we are going to provide clarity, uh, around community and its function at KC, we really want to drill down what does a flourishing community look like and sound like? And so Pastor Tim and his team in spiritual formation, we're going to be doing a lot of work around what do we actually mean? Also, we're going to establish a lay mentoring um, and ministry counseling service. So this is already going on. Sandra Bauhaus on our team is taking courses and she's already meeting with people. And we see a growing need for one-on-one or one-on-a-few care. So we want to invite you into this. If you're trained, if you have uh, marriage and family therapy experience, if you are taking classes, if you're interested, we want to get you trained. We want to build this up so we can provide this care for people who are struggling through life's difficult moments. It's already happening, but we want to invite you in. If you're interested in that, email Sandra Bauhaus, sandrab at kc.ca. In 36 months, we want to renovate our campus to create an intentional space to facilitate, again, hospitality as a core practice for us as a church. Invitation, coffee, and food. We've said this, and I'll say it again people would rather feel loved than wowed. We're not going to stop preaching hopefully good sermons and having excellent stuff on our weekends, but people would rather feel loved than wow. So we want to intentionally put dollars and resources into changing some of the f- like physical space of our church so that we can have great food on weekends great coffee on weekends. We want to have nights where we have family meals together, where our kitchen's being used and you can come and kids are running around and we're eating spaghetti and you can invite people to the table because people around tables are loved and fed and conversation happens. And this is the warmth, the type of community, warm community that we want. So that's going to come in 36 months. We're planning on bringing a capital campaign to you in the next eight to 10 months. So get ready for that. We want to launch ten new life groups every year. We want these communities, these smaller groups to come together and to launch. We need leadership development we need we We need to get better. so this is our hope in thirty six months and and even more and sooner than that is not just three years from now but even in the next few months, 60 months, five years from now, 80% of our congregation participate in a small or mid-sized community where they are known and can give and receive ministry, accountability, and care that every single person, 80%, eight out of 10 people would say, you know what? I know who I would call in this church if my life fell apart. If I need an emergency meal or childcare, if something happened, I know where I go to get fed, to find community, to grow and to love other people. In either a large group, mid-size, or small group community, 80%, we are not there because we believe life is lived best together. That rows in this room are okay, but circles are sometimes better. So now what? How do you play your part? What's the next thing? Friends, get into a mid-sized group. We have mid-sized communities here, prime time for our seniors, men's ministry, women's ministry, youth, young adult ministry. We have these communities that aren't just cul-de-sacs. They're not just holding tanks for people. These are ways that you can get in. Sign up to serve. As you start to do things shoulder to shoulder with people, you can actually get community. Friends, sign up for a life group. Go onto our website and sign up for a life group this weekend. Say, you know what? I want to be a part. I have been on the margins. I need to get known in community. Sign up to lead a life group. We need leaders. Email Tim Bussey. Get in touch with Tim. Go to our serve form on our website and fill whatever way that you want. Email or our serve form. We will get back to you as we want to launch more and more life groups as people get into community Renouncing the busy, frenetic, stressed, overburdened life that you're living to say, you know what? I need to create space for other people. Finally, play your part. Play your part. This doesn't have to be formal, right? Because we we talk about like all these mid-sized communities, you know, like the kind of like that 30 to 75 range of men's, women's prime time. Fantastic. Those are formal ways. But play your part in our community. If you call KC, your home church, don't just exist for yourself. Come to church for other people, not just you. Make a phone call. Schedule a walk around MacArthur Island. Put on food on Sunday morning. Come to church and invite people over. Extend hospitality to other people. Unhurried rhythms where deep connection can happen. So play your part in our community. When we have times here on our weekend services where we say, get up and greet one another, don't roll your eyes, look around and say, Jesus, who do you want me to go say hi to? Who can I love? Who is my neighbor that I can love like myself? Play your part in our community. I believe moving forward, the church more than ever, one of our most potent one of our strongest magnets for people, yes, the truth and person and message of Jesus Christ found in the gospel, 100%. But it's also the community of faith in our world that is disintegrating, that's isolated. And all of the tensions and problems I outlined, the opportunity for you and I to be warm Caring, loving, searching, pursuing. My friends, the opportunity for this is enormous. And that's why it's a part of our strategic plan. May you play your part. So Jesus, come above and beyond all we ask or imagine. Beyond all we could think, we pray for our church community. In a larger church, it's hard sometimes to feel connected. It's hard to be known. It's easy to come and consume. It's hard to be known. So Lord, I pray that our hearts would change from thinking that, oh, other people will do it. Other people will say hi. Other people will invite other to us owning it. So as we follow you, as you call us unto ourselves, may our lives represent being students and apprentices of you, being found and saved by you through your cross and resurrection and now on mission as you have sent us out in community, by community, for other people to experience community. So do this, we pray. In your name, amen. Last thing, we're starting an initiative every day at 320 from Ephesians 320 that he's able to do above and beyond all we ask or imagine. Set your alarm for 320. Pray with our church. It's so powerful to get texts from you. at 319, 322 said, I just prayed. I just prayed, my friends. Let's pray into this. Thanks for trusting us. See you next week.